Father, we thank you that um, in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the moments where we um, often lose our gaze upon you, Lord, that, uh, that you beckon us and you call us to rest in you, to trust in you, to find our hope and confidence in you and you alone. Lord, I pray that um, today that you, would, um, that you would just increase our faith, that you would show us that you are so worthy of our trust. You are so worthy of our confidence. Um, you're so worthy of our focus, Lord. And that um, when we put our hope and trust in you, Lord, you do mighty things in and through our lives. That, uh, that we become overcomers. Uh, in these moments, we, uh, you do supernatural works in our lives and use our lives to do these, these, uh, these wonderful things, Lord. Father, you keep us in these places of rest. And, uh, Father, we pray that you would, uh, open our, our hearts today, open our minds today to the truth of your word. Lord God, that you would practically, um, help us to understand that, that it's you and you alone, um, that are our rest, that is our hope. Um, Father, help us in the midst of life's uh, winds and waves. Help us to look to you, the anchor in the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles. Uh, First, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Um, we are in this uh, series on work and rest, and uh, this is the last of a five-part message, and we're talking about rest. Last week, we started this series, um, and, uh, and just talking about where we find our rest, where we find our hope. Uh, do you find rest sometimes to be an evasive experience for you, that uh, we, we sometimes lose our peace and our rest? Um, where do you look for rest? Um, I'm going to spend about 10 minutes kind of recapping a little bit of last week's message for those that weren't able to be with us, um, so that this week uh, you, you'll uh, you'll experience the, the conclusion of this. Uh, but where do you look? I want you to think about this for a moment. I mean, just really think about what what do you run to for rest? What do you expect in life is going to give you some sense of rest or peace? Last, last week we talked about maybe it's sleep or a nap or a vacation or, um, you know, a bubble bath or isolation. Some folks run to isolation expecting it to, 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 to give us some sort of rest or, or media or television or technology or uh, Disney World, or some sort of a theme park. You know, the word muse means to think. If we go to amusement parks, the goal is to not think, <laughs> you know, and to be entertained. But do we find that those experiences, that we come away from them feeling rested? I don't know about you, but I don't come away from Disney World feeling rested. Um, usually that's a very exhausting experience. Um, for some, it's, it's partying with or without friends. Um, some, sometimes we think that some sort of a drug or alcohol will give us a respite from our, from our struggles. And, and that's an idol if we expect that to do something that only God can do. Um, or maybe it's just some other form of escape. But is it the Lord? Is it the Lord that we run to? Um, man, God, you know, in this first passage we're looking at this morning, just a reminder of last week, Jesus says, come to me because I want to give you something that you desperately need. 
I mean, he's, he's not unaware of life's trials and circumstances. He's the one that said, in this world, you will have troubles. He is the one in this very verse, in verse 28, he says that, you know, those who are weary or laborious or heavy laden. So he understands our heart's conditions, our, 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 that we're prone to wonder and lose our focus. And he says, come to me in those moments where rest is evasive, Peace feels so distant. Chaos seems more like a friend. And the truth is, Jesus longs to give us the gift of rest. He wants to do this. But one of the things we must understand is that our rest isn't something we do, but something we have in Christ. And and we're only talking about one facet of, uh, of the, 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 the wonderful things that we experience when we have the Lord. I mean, we we experience love like we've never known. And we find it to be unconditional. And we find it not to be fading or fleeting. But we find it to be all-encompassing. And we find it to be not a love that is unaware of our faults and failures, but fully aware of of our needs and our faults and failures and rushes in. And we find a joy that is present, and as Nehemiah 8.10 says, that, that seeks to be our strength. And so these aren't, these aren't fleeting things that God... That, but, but Jesus ushered these, these things in to our experience. I love that first song that we sang this morning, that in His presence we do not fear. But here's the catalyst. Here's the most important thing. Like, if we don't acknowledge Him for who He is, if we don't give Him the rightful throne of our lives, if we don't uh, give Him the adoration and the, and the praise that He's worthy of, if He doesn't get our focus, then we don't get, to, we don't get the, the beauty, the wonder, the, the joy of experience, the peace, and the rest. Uh, which he longs to give us. So let's look at this passage, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Just a reminder for last week, I'll just recap and then we'll dive in. Um, it, it, Jesus says, like, this is God saying to humanity, come to me, come to me. I long to give you something. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Later on in this passage, he he talks about a rest, not something that's superficial or external. It's something that is in the, it's in our soul. It's not something that's fickle. Um, It's something that's eternal and manifests itself. Have you ever been in a, in an environment of stress? Have you ever been in, have you been in an environment where things are chaotic? Maybe I'm describing your workplace. I don't know. But like, uh, or your home, unfortunately. But, but see, we so often want God to to work externally when it's His heart, it's His passion, it's His desire to plant His Spirit in us, which is the pinnacle, the epitome of love, joy, peace, patience. And these things, they, they manifest themselves in rich experience. And, and don't you realize, um, as I do, that... Um, that, 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 that the way that, like cultures and environments, they're contagious, aren't they? And, and you get around people that are, that are anxious or, I mean, that, that stuff tends to rub off. And yet, if we, uh, indwelled with God's Spirit can, can, uh, remain, and we're gonna talk this morning about how do we, how do we stay? How do we remain? How do we abide in these moments of peace and rest? Um, you know, the joy is, is that we have a day that's coming, that that will be the consistent um, uh, state of the believer.
But until then, we, we have a tendency. Do, do you? I mean, I don't think the ADHD deal is something that's new to the culture. I, I, I mean, I think we see people getting distracted throughout history. And I think we have a tendency sometimes to kind of get captured by our circumstances and our happenings. And, uh, and God, in Christ, beckons us to come. And he will give us rest. He says, take my yoke or my teachings upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find something. You will discover something. Okay? Have you, have you put God's word to the test? Have you, have you put your faith and trust in God's word and found it to be incredibly faithful? Anybody got a testimony for that? I mean, like, it's amazing. It's, it is miraculous. That if we put our trust and faith in God's word, like it delivers. And Jesus says, take my yoke. And, and we get this picture of like, um, uh, you know, like two oxen in a yoke. And, and boy, what a, what a great counterpart to have God himself sharing the yoke for the sake of direction and strength and endurance and perseverance. These are the things that God brings to the equation with us as we get to share this yoke and God says that my teachings, they're faithful. Learn. Uh, I am gentle and, lo- and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I often use this illustration to explain that because uh, when we hear, uh, when we read Christ's teachings, when it says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, or love your enemies as, and pray for those that... Per- I mean, these things don't sound hard. They sound impossible at times. You know, uh, be holy as he is holy and, and on and on, uh, you know. And so what I, 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 um, I, I remember this illustration where uh, this little mouse is sitting at a riverbed. And it's, it's, it's not one of those little rivers. It's a massive river. It's got incredible current. And he's speculating, how am I going to cross this river? And he's thinking about all the things that he can see, wood and leaves. And, and you can imagine from a, from a mouse's perspective, this is, a, this is an overwhelming thing. Well, all of a sudden, an elephant walks up and just kind of makes his way through the river. You know, just jumps right in, heads over. Well, the mouse says, oh, here's my chance. Jumps on the back of the elephant and makes his way across the river and gets to the other side. And and this is the first thing the mouse says, we did it. (laughs) But aren't we guilty of the same thing at times? Don't we understand that it's God that brings all the resources to to the team, to the table? Like, he's the he's the one in the yard and he's inviting us to be yoked with Him. That's a good deal, by the way. I just want to make sure we get that. Like, it's this is a good deal. He brings, like, uh, you can say it this way, and I said it last week, like, He does the heavy lifting. Like, He's carried the cross. He's paid the price. He, he brings His omnipotence. You know, and He brings His strength and His wisdom and His foresight. He brings that all to this relationship with Him. And He says, come to me. Come to me. Like, dive in. Trust in my teaching. Learn from me. Man, why? Because I want you to experience rest. I want you to walk in this rest I have for you. Do you believe that ultimately rest is found in Jesus? Because that's where we have to get to. Because ultimately, otherwise what we do is we run to these things. We run to alcohol. We run to uh, thinking, oh, I just when I get to the, this vacation, I'll, I mean, those things. You ever, you ever sleep a ton and wake up and you, you're not rested? I know it happens for me. I mean, sleep is kind of like a um, uh, kind of a taste. But it's not rest. It's not what God has purchased for us in Christ. It's not, the, it's not what God ultimately wants for us. 
And, and we've got to believe. We got to know. We got to run to Jesus rather than running to a vice or media or technology, thinking that this is going to provide some form of rest. And hopefully you have enough experience running to those things to go, yeah, it's super temporary, even if it works at all. So how do we know when our busyness has pushed us to the limit? And I just want to recap some of these pieces that we uh, learned last week, and then we'll get to the new stuff. But there are signs um, and uh, those signs are indicators. And by the way, I don't think I mentioned this last week. These are my personal signs. Okay, so I'm just confessing. These are the, the personal signs that I've identified in my life as being things that, that, that are indicators that things are about to get out of control. So an inability to control emotions. Uh, and many of you said that you relate to that. Out-of-control emotions often reflect uh, the out-of-control demands that we often put on ourselves or we allow others to put on us. Um, lack of self-care. We talked about that last week, that uh, a lot of times we forfeit a shower to the de- detriment of our coworkers. <laughs> but like we forfeit a shower. Um, other things that we might do is we, we might sacrifice sleep. Um, we, uh, we start eating fast food, and, and, uh, and that has uh, its effects. Um, for me, um, I stop exercising. because and, and, and here's one of the things that I discovered is that uh, fun starts to get squeezed out of my life because I have too many responsibilities. I've got too many things that are, are more important than, than exercise or having fun. And, uh, and then our lives become very dull. Um, and because the, these things begin to get squeezed out when we have a, a busy life. Um, self-medicating or, or, and, uh, and excess. Uh, when the demands of life become too much, self-medicating is a common response. Uh, self-medicating might be also taking the form of too much exercise, escaping reality uh, with too much television, social media, those type of things, movies. Uh, and not getting enough sleep. Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that self-medicating is actually self-care. I deserve this, uh, as I mentioned. But if we, uh, if we find our habits are not renewing us, then we, we need to recognize that our choices as a warning, and it's a sign that we are far too busy than we should be. Um, mentioned last week about apps. You know, we see our phones getting bogged down because we just keep adding apps to our to our OS, our operating system, and then after a while, our phones can't even take another picture. Is that sometimes the symptom of our own lives? That's an indicator that we see. Last week, I, I encouraged you to kind of think about your your own life as a as the battery indicator on your phone screen, and uh, and and many of you kind of commented with me on how you kind of how that came out. Um, and, and how you're feeling. Hopefully you've put some of these things into practice and this week your, your battery indicator is a little higher. Otherwise, pay attention. Because there's some, every time that you look at your battery indicator, I want to encourage you to do something. Take a moment and consider your charge at that moment. Because I think we look at our phones too, a lot. <laughs> a lot. And we're, we're somewhat, uh, you know, I think sometimes we're more aware of our, our the, stat, the, the state of our phone battery than we are even of our gas tank, you know, or, or you know, unfortunately, our own lives. And so um, I, I just, you know, I think one of the things that Jesus did, which was amazing, is he tied truth or he tied uh, principles to, to, uh, to everyday things, creation. And so I just want to challenge you, every time you look at your battery to see where it's at, just take a personal inventory of where your batteries are 
And then think about some of these pieces that we're going to be talking about and how you can move to getting your focus back on the Lord. Run to the Prince of Peace. Run to the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, last, last week we talked about editing um, or filtering. Is uh, finding God's best in the world of choices. Do we have a lot of choices? You know, I, I find I've had conversations with people outside the context of the U.S., and a lot of them are just like, "You guys have way too many choices. There's choices for everything." You know, um, but how do we navigate those choices and find God's ideal in the midst of those choices? Um, and and we'll find this uh, today that it's all about maintaining a focus on Christ in order to navigate those choices because there's there's surely a lot of them. Um, in order for us to find God's yes, we have to be uh, be willing to to go into this editing process in our life. Be, be willing to ask God, okay, here's my life, Lord. What must go? What must go? My uh, my personal illustration um, that that Sheba and I use a lot is we talk about our basket. That and and the truth is, all of our baskets are full. I mean, some of it's full with watching TV and, and doing a lot of things that maybe are a whole lot less productive. Um, but this is, this is a, a massive struggle for me. I'll tell you what I, and the reason we use the basket, basket illustration is because in order to put something into your basket, you need to take something out, right? And that's a healthy pattern or a behavior. Like, if you're ever going to add something to your life, and, and God is all about adding to our lives. He wants to, to make room for himself, you know, kind of get us out of the way so he can put more of him in us. And uh, so, so we don't want to be resistant to change, and we have that propensity as we get older. But, but things need to come in. But in order for, that to, for, for us to maintain any sense of balance, we need to make sure that things come out. This is where I struggle a ton. And, uh, and just being cognitive of that and being aware of that. If this is going to be added, what are we going to take out? And, and as we grow up in the Lord, as we mature, we know that there's things that become less. Uh, can you say that five years ago there are things that, that you did then you don't do now? But why is that? Because God is, is sanctifying us. And so that process, we want to join God in that process and, uh, and be very prayerful. Um, rest, rest. Um, one of the things I think as a, as a Christian culture that we neglect is Sabbath. Um, and in some cases, we, we don't understand the, the purpose of it. Um, you know, Jesus said, listen, this wasn't made to benefit the Sabbath. This was the idea, the concept. It wasn't to, it's to benefit man. Like, that's the purpose of it. And so God, God is emphatic about wanting us to rest. God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He did that for our benefit, to, to be an example to us. And to show us that good rest leads into work. And it's a cyclical experience. But if we don't rest, and let's remember what Sabbath is, because we talked about this just recently, that Sabbath is a, is a date day with the Lord. And we desperately need that. It's not for his benefit. It's for desperately for ours. And we need to sit in his presence. We need to be reminded of his love. We need to be reminded of these, these teachings, this yoke, because it becomes easy for us and light he, he starts to lift those things that, that often become our focus in our life. I, I remember um, when I was in Spanish Wells in the Bahamas living for a little while, uh, I would talk to, we, we were in the, uh, they're in the fishing industry, they go after lobster. This island, 100% of the millions of pounds of lobster that they get goes to red lobster. So, um, but, but I, would, I would talk to some of the old timers and they would say, man, you know, a very, very Christian island. They would say, 
you know, we go out to sea and it didn't matter if the lobster were ready to jump in the boat. If it was, if it was Sunday, we rested. We, we, we rested because we knew that this is what, what God's ideal is. And, and so often greed is a factor in us not doing that. But, but what happened as a, a couple generations came along or the new generation came in is they'd go out to sea and they go out to sea for five to six weeks. And, um, and because, you know, they wanted to get as much as they could get, they would, they wouldn't rest on Sundays. They worked seven days a week for five or six weeks straight. How do you think that affected the, the climate of the, uh, of folks on the boat? Do you think that caused any, any conflict among individuals? Do you think that, that people got tired and that fatigue caused, caused friction? Absolutely. Do you know the interesting thing is, um, they were way more prosperous as far as the industry when they were resting. And, uh, and that's, that's just true. So, we, we have to just trust that God's word works, that it's faithful. Um, and the implications are, are far greater than just finances. So one of the things I encourage you guys to do last week was, um, and this is just a, something that I'm working on personally, is to be proactive rather than reactive. So don't, don't, don't uh, think in advance the things that you need to uh, edit out of your life rather than being forced into a moment where you're like, I'm quitting everything. And, uh, and we find ourselves being incredibly emotional about that. Uh, perhaps you say yes to too many people, not only, only to realize that you aren't going to be able to fulfill your obligations. Again, I'm talking out of my own struggles and trials. Um, often proactive edits require us to let other people down, to say no when people that love you just want to be with you. Um, but... We have to, we have to be sensitive to God's spirit. Number two is to discover what editing or what needs to be edited. What needs to come out of your basket, so to speak. And let me tell, let me say this. It will never be your time alone with God. It will never be community with believers. It will never be, I mean, prayer time with the Lord. God's not going to ask you to let go of these things. He knows that your abiding relationship with Him is the source of your rest and peace and joy and strength. And so, uh, so often I see people, rather than being proactive, they're reactive in their editing process, and they're like, life's too crazy, I'm not going to church, I'm not going to Bible study, uh, the quiet time tends to get a little squeezed out, if not practically, then devotionally, because we're so tired, and then we find ourselves in this, in this barren place, spiritually, and, and it only, it, it expedites everything that we're experiencing and makes it worse. Look for areas in your life that are not fruitful or that you're not finding favor in. Let, let God be the one that, that initiates the editing process and leads you into those things. And this is where we picked up from last week. So one of the things that I, I think, uh, and we talked briefly about this, is uh, that causes a lot of unrest in our lives is stinking thinking, as Jimbo calls it. Stinking thinking that our, our mindset is wrong. We don't have thankful hearts. We're ungrateful uh, because we got our eyes fixed in the wrong direction. Our thoughts will determine whether we live peaceful lives or whether we live lives, uh, live in a busy rush to prove ourselves, to please others, and to strive to be or do more. So how can we break our own pattern of destructive thinking? Well, I think scripture speaks to this. In Philippians chapter 4, Verses 6 through 8. Again, we're asked to do something that often in, in the context of our lives seems impossible. 
And uh, it says this, do not be anxious about anything. How's that going? You know, do, don't be anxious about anything. Nothing. Right? But in everything... This is now, this is the, this is the active ingredient. This is what you do. Rather than being anxious, rather than putting your thoughts and choosing to meditate on the, the, the struggles or trials or the winds and the waves, pray in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So I think there's some really helpful experiences here. So when we feel anxiety, pray. When we feel anxious, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That there, there's an antidote here that we're called, because a lot of times that's not the place we run to. We run to something else, and, and, and if we're honest, and it doesn't take very long for us to evaluate when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when there's no peace, and I don't, exp- I'm not experiencing rest, what is your tendency? I shared last week that it's me, for me, it's, it's diving into sports on television. And I know it now. I know that that's, a, that's an indicator that I oh, this is, this is a dangerous place for me. It's not that that's wrong, but if, that's where, if I'm hoping that I'm going to find rest and peace in that, it's an idol, and it'll never satisfy. And so be anxious for nothing, but in everything um, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. To have, to have a, an attitude of gratitude is not something that comes natural to us. It's something that, that's cultivated. It's something that, that, that we have to put our eyes and fix our attention in a certain direction. So let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Like it's not going to make sense. Like God's going to usher peace into circumstances that just are chaotic. We'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then this is the peace that I think helps us to understand the mindset that we need to have. Paul says this, to the Philippian church. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, God bless you, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so, you know, Jesus said that the eye is the lamp unto the soul. Often what we put our eyes on starts to dictate our thinking. And then our thinking starts to, to have an effect in our attitude. Then our attitude has an effect in our actions and, and our decisions. And, and so we, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to focus our thinking on the truth. And allow these, these, um, these eight, uh, these eight uh, principles to become the filter of our thoughts. And that just takes time to come apart. My mom, my mom always says, if you don't come apart, Colin, you'll come apart. And, uh, and she's so faithful to remind me of that, that we need to have that time. Um, a, a couple of illustrations that always help me with this. Um, there's, uh, you remember the old time gas stations where, you know, you kind of go, you, you pull in and the guy, would, the attendant would come out and help. Or if you've been in New Jersey lately, you know what I'm talking about, right? So, um, so the folks come out, they pump your gas and, well, uh, I want you to imagine for a, for a moment that a, that, a, that a person pulls up to the gas tank, and it, it actually, in the illustration, is a lady. She pulls up to the to the to the pump and uh, and rolls down the window, and says, "Fill her up." And uh, and so the attendant comes out, and he's uh, he's grabbing the, the handle, about to go fill it up, and she continues to run around the pump, the pump island, just keeps driving around, and the guy's standing there looking at her like, "What in the world?" And she rolls the window down again, and says, "I said, fill her up." He's like, all right, I'll give this a shot. Can you imagine where most of the gas goes? 
And I think sometimes that we run at such a hectic pace. We run at such a busy li- and busy lives. And yet we kind of yell out to God, God, fill me up. Fill me up, Lord. But yet we're not still enough for God to, 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 uh, to pour himself out into us. Be still and know something. And know that I am God. Know that I am sovereign. Um, there's another illustration that uh, is so helpful for me in that um, there's these two lumberjacks and uh, they, uh, one of them's new to the job, but he's, uh, he's ambitious and he knows that he's uh, going to be the best guy out there. He's going he's gonna to dominate. And he gets out there and he works for two weeks and he just thinks he's doing a phenomenal job, you know. And, uh, and he gets a pink slip in his box and told him, you know, thanks, um, but uh, you're not working out. He's like, what? What's going on? I mean, I'm cutting down tons of trees. I'm doing my job. And he's like, well, you're just not meeting your quota. And he says, well, give me another chance. And he goes, let me tell you what to do. I'll, I'll set up a competition with one of our guys against you. If you beat him, you, you can keep your job. And so they, they go after bright and early the next morning. They, they set up this competition. They both go out there and they're cutting down trees. And man, this guy's always kind of watching the, the other guy, the older guy. And uh, every so often he checks him out and he's sitting down. He's like, oh, I got this guy whooped. I'm, I'm gold. Yeah, I'm good here. This is going to work out. Well, at the end of the day, he finds out he loses again. And he's like, what's the deal? What's going on? So he, he goes over to the guy and says, you know, what are you doing? Like, I don't get it. Why, what happened here? And he explains to them that every time that he sat down, he was sharpening his axe. And guys, here's the deal. That, that's, that's, that's a part of what is necessary for us when we sit before the Lord, God is sharpening us. God is, is, is continuing to remind us of who He is and whose we are. And, and He continues to refine us and, and help us to, to be sharp in, in what it is that He wants us to know and understand. So the first antidote, and probably one of the biggest and most important things that I can say to you this morning, is number one, you have to abide in Him. You have to abide in Him. You have to take time to rest in the Lord, to be still and know that He is God. Uh, Jesus models this for us time and time again. So number one, abide. Abide in Christ. Uh, reside, remain, stay planted. The Scriptures uses all of these illustrations. Uh, the most important way to battle negative thoughts with, is with a laser focus on Christ and His Word. I, I, I've learned through years that no matter how bad I feel, no matter how negative my thoughts, if I spend time in the Word and in prayer and in worship, the Lord can get my thoughts right. Have you found that to be true too? Man, I get in the Word, I get in the quiet, my quiet time, I get amongst the body, I, man, and, and the Lord just calibrates me. John 15, 4 and 5 says this, Abide in me, stay at home, remain in me, the NIV says. Remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am, and in verse 1 he says, the true vine. Like we can connect our lives to a lot of things, but he is the true vine, the only source of life. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I, I, I'm gonna look, we're gonna look at two passages that really illustrate this for us this morning. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, we see a, a picture of a dinner scene. 
we see uh, uh, a couple of ladies, Mary and Martha, that have a home, a nice home in Bethany that Jesus often spends time with. Um, and th- they're having a dinner. And Jesus is there teaching. And so let me read this passage. Follow along with me. We're in Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. Last four verses of this particular chapter. And it goes like this. Now as they went on their way, they, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus entered a village. We know that to be Bethany. Uh, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So Mary lived with Martha. Verse 39. And Martha's the older sister. Mary's the younger. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Guys, every time Mary gets brought into uh, a scene or an event, um, this is what she does. Whether she's washing his feet with, with, uh, with a, a perfume that's worth over a hundred ye- I mean, over a year's salary, um, or she's, uh, it's on the other side of Lazarus passing away. I mean, this is her posture. Anytime she's, she's with the Lord, she's at his feet. And it says a lot about her heart. Um, and it's, it says a lot about how she understands and, and realizes who Jesus is. But Martha was distracted. Uh, uh, underline that in your Bible. Highlight that. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Um, can we answer that question for her? You know, like, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, this is how I envision this. So they're in a home. We understand in the first century culture that, that the ladies usually took care of the meal, um, especially in a Jewish context. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't culturally acceptable uh, for, for, for Mary to be sitting at Jesus' feet. She should have been helping Martha, right? So here's Martha. She's in the kitchen. Have you ever been there? You ever doing stuff and, and you're kind of looking at someone else and, you're, and, and it's kind of eating you up because they're not doing what you think they should be doing? And a lot of times that will, that will distract us um, and, and, uh, and defeat and discourage us. Well, this, I believe that, that Martha, this wasn't something that just, um, I, I think she kind of uh, was, was reaching a boiling point. Because I don't think you tell God what to do. If you have any inclination of that's who he was uh, for Martha, um, she makes some pretty incredible demands. And then she makes a statement that he doesn't, do you really care? And so I get, an, I get, I get the, uh, the idea that she's kind of reached her, her boiling point. She's kind of, she's overwhelmed at this moment, and then she's allowing a, a reactive moment to take place. And she speaks. And she says, and just to remind us of what she says, she says, um, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answers Martha. Now, here's, here's something that I believe. I, I think that Martha probably came in, even though she was reactionary, I believe Martha came in going, this is how it should be. So, you know, she's expecting Jesus to go, yeah, uh, Mary, you should probably go help your sister. Right? I mean, that's what she's probably expecting Jesus to say. And she says, he says quite the contrary. Now, here's the, here's the obvious question. Then, then who's going to cook the meal? I mean, he says to her that she's distracted by much serving. One of the things I, I believe Jesus is trying to help us understand and them understand is this, is that, that ideal serving, serving with a joyful heart, serving with, uh, with good motives and intentions, flows out of sitting at his feet, 
first. It's, he, he goes on to say, Martha, Martha, he says, one thing is necessary. One thing. That makes everything else secondary and at worst unnecessary. That's not what he's saying. He's saying primary, necessary, one thing. And it's exactly what Mary's doing and it's not going to be taken from her. See, it's not that serving isn't something that God... For, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Surely we are saved to serve. But we, in order for us to have the right heart, the right motive, the right direction, the right attitude... Ever been there? We, we can't focus on man. We've got to put our focus. We've got to put our, our hearts. We've got to put our... We've got to open our ears and our, and our lives to the Lord. And so Jesus carefully rebukes Martha and says, but, he says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. So here's, here's how Martha's described at this point. She is distracted. She is anxious. And what else? Troubled. Why? Because her focus is on the doings and others. And because she's consumed by those things, Jesus says this to her, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Guys, this is such an important teaching. This is something that the Lord spoke to me during my sabbatical. I mean, this was, this was the pinnacle verse that the Lord brought out for me in rebuking me is that, Colin, it's not about doing this or doing that. It's not about caring for this person or caring for that person. It's not about praying. It's, it's about you being fixed and focused on me, and then I will lead you into those things and give you the joy and the attitude and the perspective that you desperately need in order to do that. If you do these things in your strength, you're going to be consumed by them. Because as we look in this next passage, in our final passage this morning, we see that, that anything that we put our focus on s- tends to become what we're consumed by. And, um, and man, isn't that, a, is, you know, isn't that a good thing with a very positive connotation when we're talking about focusing on the Lord? Don't you want to be consumed by Him? And, and where we put our focus it really determines our, 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 our worship, our thinking, um, and the Lord is calling us to fix, you know, Scripture says in Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the starter, and the finisher of our faith. And that's what God is up to, is building our faith. So we finish with this, this final passage here. And this, if you want to turn with me to Matthew 14, 22 to 36, um, in this passage we see just the importance of our focus and how the Lord desires us to keep our focus on Him. I'll read the passage through and then we'll break it down. Immediately, this is Matthew fourteen twenty-two to 36. Immediately, He, speaking of Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and, before, and go before Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowds. And after He had dismissed the crowds, He, Jesus, went up on the mountain, mountain by Himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them, being the disciples. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out, they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart or take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, he being Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, You of, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And that's an important piece that we see there. The wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What a moment of worship again. So let's break this down real quick. Immediately, he says, the first verse there, verse 22, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat without him, by the way, and go before him to the other side. That was the destination. While he dismissed, so Jesus goes, you know, sets, puts the disciples in the boat, says, you guys head off, go to the other side, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you there. He doesn't get into details about how that's going to be, whether he's going to grab a boat too, he's walking around. He just says, I'll, I'll see you on the other side. Um, while he, and so then Jesus goes and dis, dismisses the crowds. By the way, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. And then it says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain, on the mountain by himself to pray. What, was Jesus' life active, busy? Did it have room for distractions and busyness? I mean, surely, I mean, like he would be walking through town on the way to, to raising Jairus' son, and, and there's a lady that has an issue of bleeding that, that tugs on his coat, and it says, power has left me, who touched me? I mean, like we see all of the, the, the ministry and life of Jesus was, was, very, was filled with a ton of activity and had a lot of room for him to be busy and distracted and troubled. And yet we see here that Jesus sends the disciples off and he climbs a mountain and we find out he spends the evening in prayer because the, the passage helps us to understand that when he heads up to the mountain, it, it then gets dark. And then it says that he goes out to the disciples in the fourth watch. Well, the, the way the Jewish time works is, is in the evening, after it's dark, there's four watches. So they're broken into three-hour increments. So it's from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. is the first watch. 9 p.m. to midnight is the second watch. Midnight to 3 is the third watch. And from, from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the fourth watch. So that's the time frame between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. that Jesus makes his way out to the disciples. But what did he do in the interim? He spent the, he spent the night in prayer with his father knowing that that was such an incredible example to us so that we knew. You know, the disciples asked Jesus to teach him one thing. And Luke 11 says, teach us to pray. I'd imagine this was an example and why they would ask that question. It says, when evening came, he was there alone, speaking of on the mountain. Guys, do you take time to be alone with the Lord? Do you, do you, do you, do you take seriously the opportunity on a Sunday or one day in seven to just rest in him? to spend a day with him, to reflect and remember the purpose of Sabbath, to reflect and remember, because that's, that's for our benefit. 
Because when we lose sight of the Lord, we're the ones that grow chaotic. Our life is just a reflection of really what's going on in our hearts, right? And in our minds. So it says, uh, when even came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves. If you read in the accounts in Mark 6 and John 6, they have another account of this. Um, you'll find that the disciples kind of get out there and, um, and they, they, they can't get anywhere. They're, they're rowing and they're rowing way into the early mornings of the night and they're rowing and rowing. They can't get anywhere. They're just, they're buffeted by the waves. They're struggling with this process. Now, can you imagine that would be tiring and frustrating, right? And yet I want to, I want to mention something here, guys. They're in the very center of God's will. I think because sometimes we don't realize that that's, that too is a part. God, who sent them into the storm? Right? And they're where they're supposed to be. And yet it's hard and it's difficult and it's, it's night. They're not sleeping. It's arduous. But God has a purpose in this. They're about to learn a very valuable lesson. Or in this case, relearn the same lesson in a different context. So it says, um, verse 24, But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, again, verse uh, that's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he came to them, him being Jesus, walking on the sea. Now I want you to imagine it's dark. They're tired. They're rowing. And, and all of a sudden in the distance they see this, this figure coming towards them and they, dec- they, they assume it's what? It's a ghost. And, and I love that the passage says, and they cried, right? It says, and they cried out in fear. They were terrified in this moment. Now they're, they're not only experiencing the, 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 the winds and the waves and fearful that, from that experience, but now they think there's a ghost out there. And listen to what Jesus says in the midst of this turmoil. You ever been there, riddled with fear, overwhelmed by your circumstances, just feeling like you're bat, you're, you're, you're you're, you're, you're walking uphill all the time. Or like was said of Paul, you're, you're banging your head against the wall. And Jesus says this, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart or take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, guys, that's, that's such a big statement. And this is why. Um, God is with them. Like, now, because Jesus is in the... When Jesus gets into the mix, what, is it, what does he bring with him? I mean, this is the same guy that when he woke up from a cushion in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm, calmed the sea. Do you think that this created any sense of peace or comfort going, oh, oh it's Jesus. Let me tell you why we know that. Because the very thing that Peter was terrified about, he was probably the outspoken person that was crying out in fear, or it's a ghost. I mean, Jesus, I mean Peter was always the first one to speak up, Right? Now, all of a sudden, he wants to get out of the boat and get on the very thing that he's afraid of. Guys, look, God wants... Paul says we're more than conquerors in Christ, in Him. See, God wants... And we see here why I say it was so important that it says, uh, and when they got, when Peter and Jesus got back in the boat, verse 32, the wind ceased. The wind didn't cease. Peter wanted to get out of the boat. He wanted to be with Jesus even though the storm was still at bay. And, and that's, that when we have faith in the Lord and we know that He's planted Himself by His Spirit in us, then, and we, and we, 
we, we take great comfort in that. In the midst of our storms, we know God is with us. God is here. He is present. And because He is present, the very thing that I was afraid of, now I'm willing to walk on. And, and, and then we need to unpack this next piece because it's so crucial that we understand this. Jesus says, take heart or, or, or take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him. And there's a massive shift here, right? It's a ghost. I'm terrified. It's a, you know, like, and then all of a sudden he's answering him, Lord, if it is you, command me, because that's what's required, to come to you on the water. He is willing to get out of the boat and walk on the very thing that was the cause of his fear. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus was doing. And let me tell you a little bit about a, a relationship between a rabbi and a disciple. Uh, a rabbi was, was, was modeling, leading, teaching a disciple so that the disciple would do what the rabbi does. And so in, in Peter's mindset, if, if you're walking on water and I'm called to be like you and I'm following you and eventually I'm going to do what you do, that's the goal, then command me to come. And he believed that if Jesus said I could, I would. He wasn't looking to just do this on his own. But he knew that if, if that's what Jesus did, then, then and he gets out of the boat. I mean, there's 11 other guys sitting there going, not me. Right? And he gets out of the boat. Why? Because the very thing that he was terrified now is something that Jesus has conquered and he knows that God is here. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. Now, the only way that's possible is because Christ allowed it. I mean, he, he allowed this. He, gave, he commanded him to do this. And he was able to overcome the very thing that he was fearful of. What about you? What about you when you're facing something that is daunting and fearful and overwhelming. And, and we have a tendency, I know, I, I, we have a tendency to look at those things and put our gaze and, and fix our attention and our, and our thoughts on those things and they consume us, don't they? And they overwhelm us. They cause us to cry out in anxiety and fear and to see things that really aren't right and to think things that, that aren't truthful. And, and, and when Jesus enters into the mix, like what he wants us to do is to come to him, to call to him, to, to want to be near him, because ultimately that's what Peter wanted. If you're out there, I want to be with you. Where you are, that's where I want to be. And man, in the storms of life, in, in the, and it might not just, it, not, it might not be in your life, I think it's even harder when it's in your loved one's lives. That's one of the things I experienced recently uh, in, my, in my storm was I, I had so many people that I love and care about that were just having such a hard time. And, and, and it wasn't me getting focused on my stuff. I was getting focused on other stuff, other people. And you would think that, oh, that's a, that's a good thing, right? That we focus on other people's pain. and circ- That's not what the Bible beckons us to do. Here, Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. We have to keep our focus because anything we put our focus on will consume us as we see here in the next piece. But when he saw the wind, what did he see? 
the wind, when he put his, took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the winds and the waves and the circumstances that surrounded him, he was afraid again. Man, do you see that's why we wander in and out of a sense of peace or contentment or rest? It's because we, we get, like, Mary, like Martha, we get distracted. And we, we lose our focus. And Peter took his eyes off Jesus, put it on the winds, and the very thing that he put his eyes on consumed him, surrounded him. And it says he was afraid and began to sink. And then he did the right thing. He cried out to the Lord. And the Lord does what he does, and he saved him. Guys, look, I, I want to be very realistic here. We're, we're going to struggle with this. I mean, I think this was an exercise in faith for them. I think Jesus intended that so that he might reveal himself to him in, an, in them in another way. We're going to have these moments where we're re- we are reactionary. But in those moments, where are you going to turn? Are you going to turn to the bottle? Are you going to turn to somebody else or someone else? Are you going to, are you going to turn to some of these escape pieces that we talked about? Or are you going to come to me, Jesus says? And I will give you rest. And in this case, as he focused his eyes on him, he was able to overcome the fear. Because of Christ's presence, because of his belief in Jesus, and that if Jesus said he could, he would. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, reconciles him to top water, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so that we understand what he, what, what, what did he doubt? Jesus is saying, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Sure, I mean, I could easily doubt that I'm going to walk on water. I'm sure Peter could easily doubt that that would be a reality. But Jesus is saying, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Immediately, it says, Jesus immediately, sorry, reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt me? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. So it's so important that we, I think that's a huge part of this text. Because oftentimes we're praying and asking God, God, please take away the wind. Take away the waves. Take away the storm. And it wasn't until after they got back in the boat that the wind ceased. And, and it was in the midst of that that Peter was able to walk on it because of his focus, because of his trust in the Lord. Man, we've got a lot of things in life that we can turn to. And we got a lot of opportunities for distractions and chaos and, and, uh, and anxiety. I mean, there's things going on in our lives. I mean, I look around this room and I see, I, 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 know, I know there's a lot of things going on in each of our lives. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants us to reside in him, rest in him. He wants us to remain in him, to abide in him. See, because apart from him, we can do nothing. And he shares his heart in that. And later on in verse 11, he says, if you, abide, if you abide in me and in my word, so will my love, my father's love. But you will have joy. You will, you'll have great joy. I mean, you'll have my joy. And your joy will be complete. And those in the boat worshipped him. So there was benefit for the spectators, right? Truly, you are the son of God. Guys, the world desperately needs to see people getting out of the boat. And, and the only way that's going to happen is we, and, and it's, 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 it's not really complicated. The only way that's going to happen is we got to get our eyes off of our circumstances 
and fix our eyes on the Lord. Because then he gives us the strength, the wisdom, the direction, the, every resource that we need in order to walk out those circumstances. That, look, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be painful endeavors. There's going to be winds and waves. And sometimes we're even in the center of God's will and we're in it. Right in the center of God's will. This is, this is God's answer to your prayers. <laughs> because you know what he wants to do? He wants to increase your faith. He wants to show himself faithful. He wants to reveal himself to you. And these are the environments that those things happen. But we've got to put our focus in the right place. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to learn from those that have come before us, from Martha. We thank you for Martha. We thank you for her, her, her bold declaration that you are the resurrection and the life, that, that she, she acknowledges that you are Master and Lord and Son of God. And, and Father, thank you that we see these examples of bold commitment and yet moments where we just lose our, our focus. So, Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to to put all of our, our eggs in your basket. Help us to trust in you and put you first and and uh, every time that one thing is necessary to sit at your feet and rest in your presence because rest is found because it's a byproduct of who you are. So, Lord, let us be reminded that that rest isn't something that we do, but it's something we experience in your presence and it, it invades our lives and that we're consumed by the very things that we focus on. Help us to fix our love and affection and desire on you so that the world, when they see us climb back in the boat with you and the winds stop, that they will worship you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.